0: Welcome back. Many African-Americans are skeptical about the coronavirus vaccine, even though the virus has sickened and killed people of color at disproportionately high rates. In a recent Pew Research Center poll, 42% of black adults said they would take the vaccine, compared to 63% of Hispanics and 83% of Asians. There's a history of racial bias within the medical community, And these biases have contributed to major health disparities between Black Americans and their non-Black counterparts. As the coronavirus vaccine begins to roll out, how can the medical community regain the trust of communities of color? Joining us now is Melissa Clark, who's a physician, the CEO of the BHE Group, and steering committee member of the Black Coalition Against COVID. Dr. Clark, thank you for joining us.
1: A pleasure to be with you today, Kojo.
0: Can you briefly explain what the BHE group is?
1: Yes, it's the B-Heal- BHE stands for the B Health Empowered Group, and we help to engage uh, and empower individuals in their health care and help them be their own best health advocates.
0: Also joining us is Lola Fadulu, who is a Metro Reporting Fellow at The Washington Post. Lola Fadulu, thank you for joining us.
2: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Lola, I'll start with you. Within the black community, what concerns have you been hearing about the COVID vaccine?
2: I've heard from a lot of people that they are concerned with how the vaccine was created. Um, For a lot of people, the process Uh, appeared to be quick, and it looked as if the Trump administration were uh, interfering with the process and politicizing the issue. Um, so people are hesitant for that reason. Um, there are also people who, as you mentioned, uh, mistrust the medical establishment because of examples in history of black people, um, being experimented on, uh, but also because of, uh, experiences people are having right now with their medical providers. Uh, so, People are hesitant, and uh, a lot of people want to wait and see how the first phases of distribution go before
1: committing to get the vaccine.
0: Dr. Clark, what have you been hearing in terms of concerns about this vaccine?
1: I've been hearing actually the exact same things that uh, your other guests just said. In addition, I would add that there's also a, a very active and um, long-standing social media campaign that is, has been previously against the flu vaccine and other vaccines that has been ramped up and revised to put out myths and uh, misinformation about the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, it started in uh, a lot of the information actually comes out of the same uh, political bots uh, out of Russia Uh, the Soviet Union, but also uh, gets picked up and disseminated. A lot of research has been done about that at the University of Maryland, and it's uh, being targeted to certain communities, including the African-American community. So that magnifies all the, especially the mistrust aspect, um, historical mistrust and current mistrust that African-Americans have when it comes to the medical establishment and medical research and medical treatment.
0: Dr. Clark, who are you hearing from the most? Does any particular gender, age, cohort, or other group within the African-American community seem to have more concerns than others?
1: It is across the board, Kojo. Hmm. It's everyone, men, women, young people, older people. And I think and it's regardless of socioeconomic status, because honestly, because of the milieu of racism that we, that we exist in in this country as black people, we're all touched by it, regardless of all those um, um, various ways that we are segmented and sub-segmented in the black community. So therefore, our opportunities to develop mistrust are equal across those uh, various uh, descriptors.
0: Here is Germa in Baltimore Garma you on the air go ahead please yeah thank you very much sir, for taking my call I have a question there is a lot of things going around saying that uh, the minority groups are not willing to take the vaccination but has it been available has it been uh, provided to them or how soon are they going to get it into the you know the brown and color communities well, you anticipated the next question I was going to put to Lola Fadulu. Lola, how many people in the region have been vaccinated according to the most up-to-date information we have, and how has the rollout gone so far? Because Girma apparently is has little or no information about how, where, and when the vaccine is available.
2: So we are in week four of the vaccine rollout, and more than 220,000 people in the re- in the region have received at least one dose of the vaccine, um, and the uh, officials have been uh, prioritizing healthcare workers, first responders, and nursing home residents. Um, the rollout has uh, been somewhat slow. Um, the 220,000 doses. Uh, that have been administered is just a fraction of what officials have received so far. Um, There are several reasons for that. Um, Officials have pointed to reporting delays. Um, Healthcare providers who are administering the doses are uh, reporting to local health departments that they've done so using new uh, information systems that they're having to get um, adjusted to and and to figure out how to use. Um, But then there's also... Uh, you know, one reason for this slow start could also be um, vaccine hesitancy.
0: Um, do we, we know that the coronavirus, as we said, has affected people of color and black people in particular more severely. Do you have any information, Lola, about whether communities of color are being given the attention that they need in terms of getting as much vaccine as they need?
2: So I know that, um, and I'm sure Dr. Clark will um, jump in, but I know that the Black Coalition Against COVID-19 uh, has been working uh, with groups across the city and including city health officials um, to ensure that uh, communities of color um, both have accurate information about the vaccine but are also
1: prioritized. Dr. Clark? Yes, um, so actually to Gurma's question, um, the vaccine being rolled out to healthcare workers first as a priority, actually in the district, there's a high proportion of black and brown people who work in health care. And so because those individuals have been prioritized first, actually the opportunity to get it for black and brown people if they are in the occupation um, is is equal. Um it's important to note that as we go down the line with uh, residents who are institutionalized in nursing homes and their staff, that will be complete the uh, the first group. The second group are individuals who have chronic disease and people over 65 who do reside in the community. And then finally, everyone else. And so I think his question pertains most importantly to that everyone else group when we get down to that, which will be much later in the year, especially given the delays that we've experienced in the vaccine rollout.
0: Dr. Clark, we've been hearing a lot, of course, about the Tuskegee study. Many people of color have cited it as proof of racism within the healthcare industry. Can you Tell us about the study and why it still affects many African American attitudes about the healthcare system.
1: Well, the Tuskegee study took place starting in the 2020s and spanned about 50 years. And it was an effort to understand what happens to people when they get syphilis. And the the crime that the heinous crime that was committed with that study was there was a treatment for syphilis. And the people who participated in the study were, were not informed of the treatment, offered the treatment, or even consented to being in the study and being observed in the way that they were. So there was needless death, needless complications from syphilis as a result. And it was really emblematic of just an attitude towards black people that black people's lives didn't matter, um, as we still see today in some instances. And the scars from that still persist today. The good thing about the Tuskegee study, though, is this. Once it came to light, it caused a reformation of the whole way that medical research is conducted in this study in this country so that people have to be given informed consent. Everything has to be explained to you up front, and you have to sign and consent to be in a study. And then there's a lot of oversight that happens in studies. So when we went about letting people know that the COVID vaccine studies were going on. Of course, Tuskegee was the main objection and concern, but it's important to note that these uh, reformations have taken place, um, that black people are involved, uh, not just as study participants, but as researchers Um For example, Dr. Kazmika Corbett at NIH is an African-American researcher who helped to put together and develop the Moderna vaccine, which then got studied and, of course, has been approved for use in all populations, in all adult populations.
0: Nevertheless, the skepticism exists. Here is Branda in Arlington. Branda, you're on the air. Go ahead, please.
3: Hi, thank you. Yes, I just wanted to share that I am not planning... To seek the vacci- vaccination, and the reason is, I understand that those with the O blood type are less at risk for getting the virus to begin with, or um, suffering the um, horrific complications related to it. So that's my reason for not seeking it at this time. Um, I
1: also feel that maybe. Well, let's let's time- take a, Let's
0: take it one at a time, Bronda. Doctor Clark, would you care to respond to that?
1: there is research that has come out that show that people with negative, you know, uh, RH negative blood types and old blood types appear to be more protected, as she said, from getting coronavirus and getting severe complications uh, of COVID. Um, And what I tell people is this, educate yourself about the vaccine, talk to a trusted health professional about whether it is right for you. Um, For the majority of people, Um, It is, I think, a reasonable step to take because COVID-19 has been killing the black community. It's been killing everybody but us disproportionately two to three times more than the Caucasian population. And the risks of the vaccine, there are very, very few risks of the vaccine and they pale in comparison to those of COVID-19. And even the old blood type Uh, And the negative blood type is not a silver bullet to guarantee that it's just a a lesser risk. So when we're talking about risk, of course, it's not a zero risk that you'll get it. It's just lesser than those who have a positive blood type or or A, A, B, um, or A, A, B to blood type.
0: Brandi, you had a second point to make.
1: Yes. Thank you. Um, The other point
3: is um, I hope that in time uh, more, uh, generations of the vaccine will be produced that are either safer, have less, uh, interactions, more, less allergic, uh, reactions, and maybe even have maybe synthetic versions of if there, if there is an animal or human genetic component to it, um, because if you're, if you have a concern with like whether it's kosher or halal or not, I would think in the next generations it might be safer, just less, com- less, le- just less to be fearful of. So that's my reason, my hesitancy is thinking, in time, a safer vaccination will be available.
0: So Bronda, what you're saying is that your Plan B is. Uh your plan A is not to get the vaccination. Your plan B is to maybe wait until however long it takes to get another generation of the vaccination that could be a year, two years, and you're going to be staying indoors until that time.
3: Well, I go out now. I'm covered from head to toe now. um I don't uh know when i, I expect as you know it's it's been out there's less re- just uh, what do you call it less pressure you know, what do you call it, politically on the companies, the pharmaceutical companies. But I think the economic pressure on those companies um, is the competition is going to produce more better medicines that um, can vaccinate, just like with the antihistamines. How many generations of vertex are we on?
0: Well, let, know, me, I, let, me I, be, let me be blunt. Dr. Clark, do you feel that Branda is merely rationalizing her skepticism?
1: Well, I don't know, Bronda, so I'm not going to presume to make a judgment, but I will say this. She brings up concerns about safety, and we do know the safety data that was from the trial, and we've had 4.6 million at least doses already administered, Um, and it appears that there is no increased risk of immediate severe anaphylactic allergic reaction above what previous vaccines have shown, which is about 1.3 episodes of that per million vaccines given. And in these instances, no one has died. People have needed epinephrine. um, And some of the milder ones obviously can just be treated by things like Benadryl. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a protocol to watch people for a half an hour after getting the vaccine to ensure uh, that if they get it, that they will be treated appropriately. So uh, again, that risk pales in comparison to the death and the long-term, long COVID symptoms that we're seeing in people, um, in, my, in my humble opinion. And I think the statistics bear that out.
0: Lola Faduli, you've interviewed people in this region who have received the vaccine. On the first day it was available. How have they described the experience?
2: Excuse me. Uh, the healthcare workers uh, I spoke to, who were among the first to get vaccinated, um, were happy um, that we had reached the point in the pandemic where a vaccine was available, um, but they also understood that. Until they received their second dose, uh, they needed to continue to follow public health guidelines, such as wearing a mask and social distancing. And they also recognized that, in order for the vaccine to be effective, uh, more people needed to take it. Um, so, uh, it was so the healthcare workers had had sort of mixed feelings
4: about it.
0: Here's someone who identifies as a healthcare worker, Jillian, in Silver Spring, Maryland. Jillian, your turn.
4: Hi, Kojo. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing mean. well. Go ahead, please.
4: So, yes, I'm one of these healthcare workers who haven't gotten the vaccine yet. I actually do think it needs to be, it needs to be made available to the general public as well. I, I, I they've made it available, but not mandatory. So. There, I know that there is a lot of healthcare workers who haven't gotten it for whatever reasons. I, am I, not in a rush. I know, um, I've been shot. I was, I'm a veteran. I'm not afraid of vaccinations. I've been vaccinated many times with anthrax, smallpox, and everything. But I, and I, I've also been tested like, like almost weekly. Um, COVID negative every time. Um, so I'm not in a rush. But I think that I don't know if that hesitancy or that. The, the, the healthcare care workers who are not getting it are holding up to the rest of the general public. I, and I hope that's not the case. I hope that, you know, um, you know, those who take our lives in our own hands, rightly or wrongly, it shouldn't, it should not, it should, that shouldn't prevent it from getting to the people who, who need to go out there, you know, maybe in the grocery stores or the, the, the bus drivers and stuff.
0: Well, when I you say them. those of us who take our lives into our own hands, would you consider going out without a mask, Jillian?
4: Oh no, I do. I go out without my mask. Oh, okay. You know, I go I because I have to. I mean, I work. I'm an essential worker. I have to go out. With, I, 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 do the, the PPE, the face shield. I have two masks on, an N95 mask, gloves. You know, so I, when I go into a room, a COVID room, I am, I am, I know, I am covered, head to toe. Okay. You know, but there are people who are outside, and it's because this it can be spread with by asymptomatic people. I see that they're more at risk. Because you don't know who has it. I mean, I go into a room, I know the person has it, and I know I'm covered. And okay. yes, the people who have it I'm sick, but I am covered. I'm, I'm covered by the double gloves, with the gown, with the mask, a the face shield. Um, that, I work that, at
1: the event.
0: Dr. Clark, any advice for Jillian? She says she's, on the one hand, a nurse, on the other hand, not in a rush.
1: Uh, absolutely. Let me mention that I'm a physician and I got the vaccine, Moderna vaccine, exactly one week ago and I feel fine. I initially had a headache, which I took Tylenol four hours after and, and it, the headache went away. And I had a little bit of pain on at the site of my um, injection, which went away after about two or three days and didn't prevent me from doing anything. Um, so the other thing I wanted to say about what I think I hear her saying is, you know healthcare workers should not necessarily be prioritized over everyone else. But there is a logic behind the reason uh, why that happened. And that's number one, because there is that high risk exposure, but you're also potentially exposing as a healthcare worker, patients to the virus. So people who come into the hospital who don't have Coronavirus, get can be exposed to it by a healthcare worker who has it and might be asymptomatic. The second is that, so the workforce doesn't get sick, so that there are enough people to continue to take care of the huge influx of COVID patients that we're seeing now, such as in LA and other hot spots around the country, we need to ensure that our healthcare workers stay healthy. So that's the reason why. And then once all the healthcare workers are vaccinated um, or have been offered the vaccine, let me say that, that then we will move on to nursing home patients and staff and frontline workers uh, right after that. Thank and you then the m- order that I mentioned before.
0: Julian, thank you very much for your call. Good luck to you. Um, Lola, DC's Department of Health is advising providers to give thawing vaccine doses to anyone willing to accept them. What can you tell us about that?
2: So I think uh, there's been some confusion um, about this. Um, so uh, Earlier this year, which is a couple of days ago, um, a law school student uh, was in a Giant, uh, the Giant Food Store in northeast D.C. and was able to uh, get the vaccine even though he wasn't in a priority group because uh, the pharmacist um, had doses for first responders who weren't able to make their appointments, um, and if the doses weren't used, they would have... Uh, gone, um, they would have been wasted. Um, so DC health has, um, encouraged, uh, vaccinators, um, to use the vaccines instead of, um, throwing them away. Um, but what that means is that, uh, you know, for example, at a hospital, um, if frontline staff are um, canceling appointments or are unable to get the dose and the dose has already thawed, um, then in many cases these hospitals have um, waiting lists where they can call on other um, healthcare workers or other workers in the hospital to get the vaccine. Um, so the, the goal is to ensure that um, these vaccines don't go to waste, um, but it isn't to just give it to anyone.
0: Okay. Here is Terry in Delaware, but he identifies as a D.C. native. Terry, you're on the air. Go ahead, please.
4: Hi. Happy New Year, everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, My question, I have two. I wanted to know, are the
0: vaccines
4: made in America? And I have not heard anyone discuss what the vaccines really contain. I would really like to know what they really contain. I heard someone say that they contained um aborted fetuses and I'm really concerned. So that's Doc, my question. Dr. And,
0: and Clark I'm, Dr. Clark, you only have about one minute to debunk that rumor.
1: Yes, they are made in America, uh different manufacturing sites um in, in major cities around the States. Number two Uh, No, they don't contain parts of fetuses. Um, The actual um, ingredients can be found at the FDA's website. You can anybody can go there and look at them. It's primarily the messenger RNA, which is a code for making a very specific part of the virus that the immune system then uh, responds to. And by the way, when you get infected by coronavirus, you get the virus's messenger RNA. So you get messenger RNA in your, vir- in your body when you get infected by any virus, by the way. So this is not something that the vaccine is exposing you to that you would not otherwise be exposed to, and then there's the there's a piece of fat, there's like a little fat droplet only got that it about is 20 contained in, left. Okay. that it is contained in, and then other additives to make it um, to make the body's immune response and um, in, in, to increase the immune response, and that's okay. essentially what is in the vaccine.
0: Terry, thank you for your call. Lola Fadulu, Dr. Melissa Clark, thank you both for joining us. This segment on African Americans and the coronavirus was. Vaccines was produced by Richard Cunningham, and our conversation about today's demonstrations to overturn the presidential election was produced by Sidney Grannon. Coming up tomorrow, more than 12,000 people have died of COVID-19 in this region. We reflect on the magnitude of the loss, and listeners Washingtonians share memories of their loved ones. Then, we look back on the lives of local public figures who passed away in 2020, and what we can take away from the legacies they leave behind. That all starts tomorrow at noon. Until then, thank you for listening. And stay safe. I'm Kojo Nnamdi. The Kojo
4: Nnamdi Show is produced by Julie Deffenbrock, Cindy Granin, Lauren Marco, Kurt Gardiner, Richard Cunningham, and Ines Renike. Our managing producer is Ingalissa Schroepstorff. Our broadcast engineer is Rashad Young. Today's engineer was Mike Kit. For past shows and more content, visit kojoshow.org.
1: WAMU 88.5 is your listener-supported NPR news station in the greater Washington, D.C. region. You can support the Kojo Namdi Show and all the regional coverage you value by becoming a member today. Click the Donate button at WAMU.org and thanks.